Welcome, everyone. So good to be here together, worshiping here in Bethel campus. I want to welcome all of you who are online with us as well, and also on our campuses in New Milford, in Derby, and in, uh, where's the third one? (laughs) Waterbury, my hometown. How about that? I think I was a little, um, I'm a little emotional over that incredible performance, actually. Yeah, absolutely amazing. What an incredible portrayal of what I'm about ready to talk to you about. So I'm just so thrilled to, I feel like I'm starting off, you know, on third base, rounding third, coming home. (laughs) So I hope that uh, that will happen today where you'll really hear from the Lord in in a mighty way. Let me just pray momentarily and ask God to really enter in. Lord God, we... Having read that scripture, having seen that portrayal of of solidarity, of the way that you care for and love your people, it's just a little overwhelming to think about the God of the universe being so close and caring for us so much. So I pray, Lord, that today we would experience the blessing of belief, the blessing of looking at the power of the faith and testimony of two of your choice servants. And God, may we also just capture today some of the joy of the Lord that we so want to experience this time of year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had one of those moments where you, you just can't wait to get somewhere? You can't wait to get there. I mean, sometimes it is a vacation experience or... You know, just a, something you've been looking for for a long time. But I, for me, the things that, I, that are most memorable when I, those types of moments is when I can't wait to see someone. You know, I can't wait to actually be with somebody. And so let me take you back a few years. Um, 1999, okay? A few years back. I was, I was not quite married to my, my wife then. I was not quite engaged to her yet. I was dating her, and she decided with her good friend from college and another friend of hers to go and travel around Europe and backpack around Europe. And um, I was excited for her, but I, I have to tell you, I really, really missed her. I mean, we were, we were in love. You know, we were going to be engaged, and she didn't know this, but we were going to be engaged in just a few months afterwards. And, and I just really missed her. And in those days, the way you communicated is different. You know, we didn't... Email was barely working in, the, you know, in, in a sense that you could use it from a distance. The, the only way we could call was through using calling cards. And so then you had to try to organize when that was going to happen. It was, we probably talked maybe once, twice, three times over the course of several months. And so when her father-in-law, uh, or when her father said to me, hey, you want to come with me to go pick her up from the airport? I was, I was going to be there. You know, I wanted to see her when she came off the plane. And I wanted to hear about the stories. I wanted to... You know, give her a hug, of course, as well. But I wanted to hear her experiences, you know, share them with her. Have you had that kind of experience before where you just couldn't wait to enter into that friendship, that relationship, uh, that connection with your significant other, whoever it might be? I think we all can relate to that. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Mary and Elizabeth. Mary can't wait to go share what God has done in her life. And that's why after the angel Gabriel met her, it only took a couple of days for her to gather her stuff and get going for an 80 to 100 mile journey. Did you know that? An 80 to 100 mile journey that she had to make, most likely by foot or some small beast, all of that way to this little town in the Judean foothills. 
When you look at this uh, next slide, you're gonna see this map of the distance, and you can't tell the distance on the map, but you're gonna see from Nazareth all the way down to this little town called Ein Karem, through Jericho and Jerusalem was 80 to 100 miles. So we see this eagerness, this eagerness to be connected to this relative of hers, to also to find out if what the angel Gabriel, I think she believed it was true, but to actually see it with her own eyes, to experience it with this loved one. So on she goes. Now, Ein Karem, it's a little town, just four and a half miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. I can imagine Mary kind of coming over that last hill, because if you've ever been to Israel, you know this is a hilly part of the country, coming over that last hill and seeing down, because this town is sort of in a little valley. There's a spring there, and it's kind of a beautiful place. I have a firsthand account of someone who's had that experience of walking up and seeing this little town of Ein Karem over the hills. He says, before me lay the hollow, surrounded by gentle hills, covered with a pine forest. You'll see what I'm talking about right here in these pictures. And in the middle of the low ground sprawls the town, stretched out in front of the church, marking the birthplace of John the Baptist. Small, tidy stone houses are surrounded by gardens in which olive, almond, and orange trees, palms, and pines grow. Vineyards were planted, at least in former times, on artificially constructed terraces. And you can see them even here, the the terraces right there on the side of the hill. Paradise cannot have been a more delightful garden. Can you imagine? Picture that journey of Mary's. She's finally come to the end of it. She knows she's she's about ready to meet her loved one. She sees this beautiful place. She's, She's finally arrived. Ein Karem means the spring of the vineyard. And it's a beautiful place to this day. Terraced hills, a town fed by a natural spring. It made, made it a place of agriculture in the midst of the Judean hills, which were very arid. So this spring allowed it to be such a beautiful place. Now, Ein Karem, how many of you have ever heard of that place? Only a few of you, I bet. Just a, probably just a few of you, because it's not mentioned in Scripture. And so you may ask, why do I even care about this town if it's not even mentioned in, in Scripture? Because... I think we can actually have assurance that this was the place where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. This was the place where John the Baptist was born. This is the place where Mary set out to go to from Nazareth all the way down to those Judean foothills. Why does it even matter? Well, I want to do a little bit of teaching on why this matters, why these places actually matter, and how we can have some assurance that they are the real places There's three things that we always look for when we're looking at archaeological locations. First, scripture. I think you'd be happy to know. That's where we go first. Secondly, we go to tradition. We look at what has tradition told us? What has the history told us over time? And then we look at the archaeology. And archaeology, I love archaeology. You may not have a lot of interest in it, but as I share, I hope you'll gain a little interest today in what archaeology can tell us about places especially in the biblical narrative. So let's look at these real quickly. The first, scripture. It says, in, a hill co- in the hill country in Judea. So now we know, small area actually to look at because it had to also be close to Jerusalem. Why? Because Zechariah was a priest. He needed to be able to walk up to the temple when it was his duty to do that. He didn't want to be a, far, a long way away. And we know that many priests, or several priests at least, would have lived in this town, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Also, we know this town existed in the first century. It was there, tradition tells us, because even in 638 AD, very early on, there is a written proof 
that there was a church commemorating Elizabeth in that town of Ein Karem. And then even earlier, 530, there's a historian named Theodosius who said, who knew of this town where Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, lived. So these are written accounts. Now, 500 AD is a very early written account, isn't it? You can see how you start to make the connections. Now, let's look at the archaeology. The archaeology, to me, is really exciting. We see the layers. Archaeology is a study of layers. We look at these things called tells, and a tell has many, many, many layers because civilizations were built on top of one another in the ancient world. So here in Ein Krem, there are they've been able to do some of the excavation of these tells. We know that the Franciscans have had a monastery there since 1621. And in 1941, Father Sylvester Soller led extensive digs under the Byzantine chapel where they believe that John the Baptist was, was born in the, in the summer house of Zechariah and of Elizabeth. Now, what does Byzantine mean? Let me just remind you. In 330 AD, Constantine and his, really his mother-in-law, Helena, led all of Rome into some, some form of Christendom. And during that time, all of these little chapels started to pop up all over the Holy Land. Why? To commemorate those most important places where things happened in the, in the biblical narrative. And there's, there's a Byzantine chapel. So sometime between 330 and 1008 um, AD was when this Byzantine chapel was erected. Now below the Byzantine chapel, so now we're digging down, right? We're doing the archaeology together. Below that Byzantine chapel, there are ruins of a small church with a mosaic floor which were also built over stone ter- terraces and, ancient, and an ancient wine press. What does that tell us? It was a place of farming. It was a place where they were pressing grapes. It was a place connected to those vineyards. And also, right there, in that same area, they found a mikvah. Now, a mikvah was a ritual bath that all priests would have to have in their home. It was essential to being a priest because they would have to be ceremonially clean when they went to do their priestly duties. Again, another point to the priest Zechariah. Then, under the walls of that Byzantine chapel, there's found a Roman building with pottery shards from the first century, from the Herodian times, actually before the first century, from the time of Herod the Great. All the dating shows us that these are pottery shards from that season. Now you're getting excited, right? It's getting exciting here. Now, within that Roman period dig, what they found is something even more amazing. They found a marble torso carving, 28 inches tall. So this is very large, very expensive to carve something of marble at over two feet tall. It's a ritual image of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, modeled on a statue by the Greek sculptor Praxiteles, a very famous Greek sculptor. What's the connection here? Why do we care about a statue of a Greek goddess? Have you ever heard of the Emperor Hadrian? First century, viciously, viciously trying to wipe out all bits of Christianity in any way that he possibly can. And he did it in some of the most deplorable ways. One of the ways that he did it was to desecrate important places in Judeo-Christian history. He desecrated them and made them into temples to Greek gods and goddesses. In fact, in 135 AD, we know that at Golgotha, the place where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre stands today, he put a temple to Aphrodite. 
So this statue found in Ein Karem, just in these, the Judean foothills, was, had this replica of the same kind of Aphrodite statue. So everything indicates that even before the birth of Christ, there was a farm on that spot, there were vineyards that were tended, that that place was recognized as a significant place. In fact, the place where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived, where Mary visited and stayed until the birth of John the Baptist. It says she stayed for three months to the end, likely, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And that Hadrian, in 135 AD, in his attempt to snuff out Christianity, actually marked the places throughout Israel where the events of Scripture occurred. Isn't that wonderful? What he intended for evil, the Lord used for good. We, we know that of these real places in history because a guy tried to snuff out Christianity. Isn't it incredible? Probably that place in Ein Karem was rediscovered because of what Hadrian did, amazingly. Men like Hadrian have tried to stop, stomp out the faith forever, but friends, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. A stone mikvah will cry out. Pottery shards from the from the Herodian day, will cry out. Marble image even of Aphrodite will cry out. The mosaic floor in a little Byzantine chapel will cry out. These rocks cry out about the rock. Jesus Christ was here, is what they say in these places. Isn't that incredible? Just amazing. This is what archaeology teaches us. Jesus was there in the womb of Mary, Visiting Elizabeth. So what do we do with these proofs of the Lord Jesus? Because you could go there today. I wouldn't suggest that you do that right now, but you could. And you could go to even more significant places biblically that even have greater proofs than the ones I've just shared with you about Jesus. The places where we know God incarnate was, where he actually moved, lived, breathed, where he did his miracles where he saved the lost, where he drew people to himself and still not believe and still not have a passion ignited for Jesus in your heart. You could do that. Or you could be like Mary. You could be like Elizabeth. And you could go on a journey of belief. And that's my challenge to you today, to go on a journey of belief. Her belief, Mary's belief, led her to action Quick action, right? Within days, she's packed up and she's going. Quick action. She, she, she wasted no time. She was eager to go see Elizabeth, and off she went. And equally, and maybe even more so, the action of the Lord in our lives is powerful. Yes, he calls us to action. Our belief in him draws us into action. But his action on our behalf is what gets us there in the first place, isn't it? Let me ask you these questions. Can you see what the Lord is doing in your life? Are your eyes open to see it? Can you see what he's doing in this world? All around you, can you see it? He wants to meet with you. Maybe not with the angel Gabriel coming to visit you. You probably should hope that that doesn't happen. They were always very afraid when the angel Gabriel came. But no, by his spirit, in many ways, through his scriptures, through the people of God. He wants to meet with you. Are are your senses attuned to him? His word, his spirit, his people who are actively intersecting your life. Are you aware of him? 
Will his action in your life lead you to believe with the same kind of belief that we see in Mary? Because that belief led to action, but it also led to blessing in her life. The scripture tells us you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. These are the words of Elizabeth. Elizabeth's prophetic words over Mary. She's saying God is going to do and does do what he says he's going to do. And when you follow that, you're going to be richly blessed. It's actually the first beatitude in all of scripture. And a beatitude always leads to a state of great joy and exalted happiness. That's what they're supposed to do. What a moment of joy that they experienced there together. Let me, let me try to bring it home with a little story of my own. You know, I, I have, um, have I ever told you about Mr. C? I think I told at least one story about Mr. C in this room, a time when he helped to find me lost in the woods. I'll tell you a different one today. Mr. and Mrs. C were our family's surrogate grandparents. We, my family moved from the Midwest, and we had no family here. And they were walking distance from us. We could walk through our backyard to the next street, up the street, and boom, we were at their house. And they were part of our little Methodist church up in New Milford. And they became such, so important to us. They had us over regularly. They had a, a small swimming pool in their backyard, and I can't tell you how many days we spent in that place. But one of my favorite things about being there was when Mr. C would come home from work because it was always a little fun and dramatic. He would come up to the pool, inevitably, on a hot summer's day, and Mrs. C would announce his coming. She would say to, she would say to us, Here comes the great white whale! Now, what you don't know about Mr. C is his last name is Carlson, and he's a lovely, rotund, or was a lovely, rotund Swedish man with very little pigment in his skin. But he would just put on a show for us. He would, we'd be in the pool, he'd get up on the little springboard, he'd do a little swan dive in, he'd go under the water to the other side of the pool and spout water out of his mouth like the great white whale. And this wasn't just a Moby Dick uh, kind of uh, illusion. This was, this was our, our great white whale, Mr. S- Mr. Carlson. It was so special. You think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I, I, just, I think back to that because it was, I was being honored by an adult in my life that I, that I tr- really loved, you know? you know? Have you had that experience where someone you know, goes out of their way to make you feel so good? You know, so loved. Um, those, those are the memories that you have in your mind of somebody from, the, from your past that have show, showed you that tremendous love. And, and those are the things I'll never forget about Mr. C. Because he just, he honored us with that, with that just fun that he gave to us. And it showed us how much he cared about us and loved us. Now, now think of Mary. She steps into, she, she, she's just been ex- experienced this remarkable thing and she has no one to relate to about it. Maybe Joseph, but probably differently because Joseph's not impregnated, you know. Now she goes down to Elizabeth who's also experienced a miraculous pregnancy, not, not a virgin situation, but she was too old to have kids. She shouldn't have been pregnant. And before the words are out of her mouth to share her story, what does, Mary, what does Elizabeth do? Prophesy over her and, re- and show her, her how loved she is. Show her how embraced she is. Show her that she doesn't have to worry. You don't have to explain it. Don't worry, Mary. I already believe it before you've even said it. What a moment for Mary, I believe. What a moment of being honored by someone older than her, someone more experienced than her. In that culture, it should have been the other way around. But no, 
Elizabeth beats her to it, to honor her, to show her love, to, to assure her that she's believed, that what's happening is real and true. It's one of the really most powerful moments I can think of in this whole story of the birth of Jesus. What a greeting, what a greeting. And then what happens? The child within Elizabeth leaps within her. What does this refer to? Well, we can look at some Old Testament passages that tell us what's going on here. Psalm 114.4 says, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. So that's the image of like a lamb. If you've ever seen a video of a little lamb jumping in the air with excitement out in the fields. That's, what's ha- that's the idea here. Now, the, all of you women who have been pregnant are thinking, this doesn't sound too great. But what a moment. She knew something powerful was happening here. We can also see uh, another passage here, Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. So what's the image here? This enthusiastic joy about the coming of the Lord. That's what those passages in the Old Testament are about, and that's what we see again here. The enthusiastic joy of John the Baptist having his first prophetic witness before he's ever even born. Just incredible what's going on here. And then later we see John, when he's alive and well and in his ministry, he says this about Jesus. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success, as if he's jumping for joy at the success of Jesus in his ministry. And we see Mary's words similarly here. She says, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary, as Adam said last week, was a nobody from a non-place. A nobody from a non-place. Nazareth was not even really on the map. In her own words, she calls herself a lowly servant girl. girl and she, and, but now we know today that the name Mary is the most popular name in the Western world. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And Mary didn't know that was going to happen, but she's saying, I'm blessed. And we see the results of that blessing. In both Mary and Elizabeth, there's this powerful sense that they can't believe that their God, the God of the universe, who does all of these mighty things out there in the world, would do this for them. They're amazed by it. Jesus comes to those who know their need for a savior, who know that they cannot save themselves. He did it for them, he does it for us. And our belief leads to great blessing. Our God is great. Our God is great. He is greatly to be praised. These are some of the things that Scripture says. We ought to be in awe of him. In fact, Scripture says we should fear him. And what that means is put him in the place he belongs. He is on the throne. We are not. We should have that. And yet, he shows us the most tremendous grace and mercy, doesn't he? Even though we know there's this incredible juxtaposition of he's on his holy place. He is holy. He is the God of the universe. And yet, he shows us grace and mercy. And he sends his son for us. Jesus' words are, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those, you and me, blessed are us who believe without seeing me. What a promise from Jesus to you and I. They're Jesus' words to us. The promise of blessing to those who believe. We have this great example in Mary and Elizabeth. Now we're called. Will we, will we believe? 
Because belief also leads to a promise. Listen to the words of Mary. These are her prophetic words that she shares with us in this wonderful passage. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What is the promise here that she's talking about? The promise in the passage, I think it's twofold. Seems to be two truths here. One, those who believe that their goodness is enough are in fact desperately needy. Those who think that their goodness is enough are desperately needy. Secondly, those who are desperately hungry will come to Jesus and be filled to overflowing. Praise the Lord. Good news. Good news for us today. Here's the promise in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who continually hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus' words. One of the Beatitudes. We're back to the Beatitudes here. So let's just recap this journey of Mary. She starts out in Nazareth, and she makes a journey all the way down to Ein Karem. She goes eagerly, desperately to meet with her relative, to experience something so wonderful as we've described. Do you know that she wasn't the only one who made that journey? 33 33 years later, Jesus would make a very, very similar journey from the north in Galilee down to Jerusalem. He did it for you and for me. He took that path for you and for me and for the world. It was the path to the cross. He started a little bit further north than Mary, up in Caesarea Philippi, but he, he went through the same region, through the same roads, and he came to Jerusalem. Mary did it prophetically with Jesus in utero. Jesus would do it for you and me later on, by choice, purposefully for us to be the savior of the world, to be my savior, to be my Jesus, to be your savior, to be your Jesus. Now we have a journey ahead of us, friends. Comes back to us. It's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual journey, isn't it? It's what we do every day. We are on a journey. And I wanna focus today on that spiritual part of the journey. You may be going through some physical parts of your journey right now, but will you just for a moment focus in on that spiritual part of the journey that we all are on? Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Again, Jesus' words. Why does he say it? Because he's describing to us the challenge that we have in our spiritual journey from going from our head to our heart. It's not a very far distance, is it? Depends on how big your head is, I guess. But it's not a very far distance. It's a short distance, but it's one of the hardest journeys that we ever make in our Christian journey. That journey from head to heart. It's a long journey all the way from the north of Galilee down to Jerusalem, 100 miles. This is a short one, but it might be harder. It might be a harder journey to go from our heads to our hearts. He wants a surrendered heart, a surrendered life, The Pharisees didn't get it. That's who he was talking about when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's talking about these extremely religious Pharisees. So we know it's not enough to be religious. We know it's not enough to to keep our traditions here at Christmas time or even to follow the rules of faith all the days of our lives. He wants us to make the journey from head to heart, a surrendered heart, a surrendered life. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 10, 9 through 11. 
If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Let me tie this back into the three points that I made today. Belief that leads to action. We saw it in Mary. We saw it in Elizabeth. What about out of this passage? It says, declare and believe. Do you need to declare to the Lord and believe? Believe is an action word in scripture. It's putting into action what you have seen and experienced in Jesus. I wanna encourage you today, if that's you, go for it. Believe and declare, and you can be saved even this day. I don't want you to leave here without missing out on that opportunity to come to him. And you can do it in the privacy and quiet of your seat, or you can come and let someone pray for you. I would encourage you to do that if you can. It's such a wonderful thing to be a part of. Belief that led to blessing. The scripture I just read says, you will be saved. You will be made right. What a blessing to know that. Just by receiving this wonderful gift of the grace of Jesus Christ, I will be saved. I will be made right. What does that mean? Right in the sight of God. I will be, the gap will be bridged so I can be in relationship truly with my God. That's the promise to you and me. That is the blessing. There's a one final promise. The belief that leads to promise. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Do you believe that today? You have to believe that. It's a faith thing to believe that that's the case. But I want to tell you it to be true. I want to invite the worship team to come back out. We're going to close in worship in just a moment. I want to just speak to the online community right now and encourage you today that if you know you need to believe so that it will lead to action, or you need to believe so that you can experience blessing, or that you need to believe so you can experience the promise that you will connect with your online pastors and prayer leaders and let them know that you wanna be a part of that journey, that you want to experience the belief that we've talked about today. You wanna take that step and experience the blessing. And friends, I wanna say the same to us here in the room and those of us who are on campuses. I, I wanna encourage you to take a step of belief this season. May this not just be a lovely season of Christmas. May it be a season that you say, I'm gonna go on the journey from head to heart. I'm gonna take steps in my belief. I'm gonna see the Lord come and move and rule and reign in my life in a new way, in a fresh way, maybe for the very first time even. That would be my prayer. I believe there's some in here who have been on a journey of contemplating who this Jesus is and who he is in my life. And I think there's a few in here who are ready to take that major journey from head to heart. I hope there is. That's been my prayer. And if that's you, I'd love to meet you today. Our prayer servants would love to meet you. Some of the rest of you have been perhaps putting your, your faith on hold and you know it's time to step into this, this radical journey of faith with Jesus. We'd love to, we want a journey with you. We wanna see that happen for you. We want this season to be so much more than just Christmas trees and, and presents. We want this to be all about true relationship with Jesus and growth in him. Those are our prayers for you today. We're gonna worship and you're gonna have time to really contemplate what it looks like for you to believe, to believe 
in this Jesus and see what he wants to do in your life. So I'm gonna actually have us stay seated for now. And my encouragement to you is as we worship, as you sense the Lord speaking to you about how he wants you to believe, that you might stand as a statement to your Lord that you are taking those steps that, you've at, that you hear him asking you to take in your journey of belief. So let me pray for you as we go into worship. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful, so wonderful. Thank you so much for the, these, we call them characters in a story, but these are the, the real people of Mary and Elizabeth and their incredible story of faith journey that we can relate to, Lord. We are on a journey of belief. Take us further. Take us deeper, Lord Jesus. Take us across those either boundaries that we've put up or that we sense are there so that we can truly embrace you and be embraced by you, Lord. Lord, I pray you would do it. I pray you would do it even right now in Jesus' name. Amen.